Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, founder of Alzheimer Speaks Resource website, blog, and radio. My passion is to educate the world about Alzheimer's disease and memory loss, and that came to me through my mother's 30-year journey with dementia. For those of you that are new to our show, I just want to give you a brief introduction to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. Our goal is to give voice to those afflicted with memory loss and empower them to live purpose-filled lives. We want to raise awareness, give hope, and share the real, everyday life stories of living with Alzheimer's disease. Rick Phelps is our channel expert, and I never know if he's going to bop in and be with us or not. Rick is the founder of Memory People on uh, Facebook, which is a wonderful support group that's done in real time. It's um, real people living with the disease, caregivers and professionals alike. So if you haven't checked out um, Memory People, it is a closed group, but it's a, it's a wonderful support group if you are looking for some additional additional help and being able to connect with uh, people worldwide. On our homepage, you'll find links um, to connect with us. And today, I hope you decide to join us and become an advocate and help spread the word of Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I believe we're the only um, radio station that is um, specific to dementia. And again, our goal is to, to connect people worldwide so that we don't feel that we're alone in this. During the program, um, if you have any questions and you call in live, you can push one on your phone. That will get you into my queue so I know that you're there and I can pull you in for a question or comment. And if you're um, listening via your computer, please feel free to use the chat box and go ahead and note any comments or questions that you have there and we can pull, pull your voice in that way. For those of you that aren't aware, um, November is National Alzheimer's Disease Awareness Month, and it's also National Caregivers Month. So um, I just want to thank everybody who is listening, um, all of you that are dealing with dementia and or our caregivers out there. So today's show is going to be a little different. We really wanted to structure this um, to be more of a forum. So we're really hoping to get... Uh, more interaction from our listeners on this. And the program is called Igniting Your Dementia Care Culture. And what does that really mean? It's all about making a difference in the world, being able to make a change. And after I had Michelle Mason on the other month who did her, her beautiful program, Soul Purpose, we just got a lot of comments from people, I think, being amazed at what Michelle was able to accomplish with pulling in so many volunteers and providing such quality um, service um, to not only her um, dementia um, residents, but their caregivers as well. So, Michelle, we've got you back again, and I, I'm just thrilled to, to have you on the show. How are you doing today, Michelle? Good morning, and thank you for having me back. I'm great. Well, good. In addition to Michelle, we've got a couple more of her cohorts with us. Um, we have Monica Ramirez, and uh, Monica is uh, the coordinator for Guiding Light Hospice. How are you doing today, Monica? I'm doing excellent. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, good. And then we also have Grace Tabellin, and she is the operations manager for Alternative Home Care. How are you doing today, Grace? 
I'm doing great, thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, good. I'm I'm excited to have you all on the show. Again, our goal today is to really get a conversation going. Um, And with Grace and Monica and Michelle, we're going to be talking about some specifics, but we really want to hear um, from you out there in terms of what what are you doing, what have you done in the past, what are you doing today, and what would you like to see in the future? Because um, dementia care culture is a societal deal. This is not something one person can shift by themselves. So we really have to work together and um, and be collaborative in order to make this shift. So, Michelle, I'm going to throw um, the first uh First question out to you, and I'm going to go back to uh, our sole purpose program that we did before. Can you tell me what kind of feedback you got from people on that? When because uh, we had lots of listeners and lots of comments, so it was very fun. Well, I received a, a lot of uh, positive feedback, and since that show, I actually have had uh, other various individuals to join. <laughs> in our mission for enhancing the quality of life of individuals uh, with dementia, as well as having individuals to come out to utilize us as a model site to set up similar programs. Well, that is, that's fabulous. That's, that's very exciting um, to hear. I think what we'll do is we'll go ahead and we're going to start. Um, I'm going to call Monica in. And again, Monica is the coordinator for Guiding Light Hospice, and she is responsible for the day-to-day operations of organizations, uh, budget preparation, Medicare, Medicaid costs, all that fun kind of accounting stuff. Um, and she's also responsible for employee management, um, new hires um, for patient care coordinators, uh, roles ensuring that employees provide excellent customer service and quality care, and she does some education um, on appropriate activities um, to engage their clients. So, Monica, can you tell us a little bit more um, about what it is you're doing, why you got down this path, and and why you feel it's important uh, to improve the quality of care for your dementia patients? Well, I um, think I got down this path, Lori. Um, I took a long way here, but um, I was um, originally I started out as an activities director in a skilled nursing facility and had moved on along the way um, in the early 1990s um, to become um, a social worker, admissions director, and then I became a licensed nursing home administrator. But my passion has always been activities and being creative and being with the residents and being with the family. So after working as director of operations for continuing care um, communities, um, for skilled nursing facilities, handling, you know, millions and millions of dollars worth of um, financial responsibility for operations of different facilities, my passion has always been the people. My passion has always been the families. And um, although I was good at doing the operations and the numbers, Um, I just wasn't happiest. And so um, Karen Wilson, who's the owner um, and administrator of Guiding Light Hospice, um, worked with me as the director of nursing for a couple years at a facility. And she told me about her passion and how she was starting this um, 
hospice company, and um, she then went to work as a, a weekend supervisor and until she was able to uh, bring me on board and um, getting paid by Medicare. And so um, I joined Guiding Light Hospice about a year ago, a little bit over a year ago, and absolutely love it because in addition to being out there meeting new people, I go sign up new families and residents, I get to go to nursing facilities and do activities, I get to educate their staff, I get to go shopping at Michael's and pick up all the materials for our staff, and I get to have fun on my job, and I get to spend time with people. And, you know, it's uh, being in hospice care, um, I know we're providing a better service than any other hospice out there because we provide quality of life visits, and that's activities with people and providing dignity and being interested in what they were interested in all the way to the end. And it's really good for the families to see and to be interactive. And now I'm just doing my passion. Karen's doing her passion. And the employees that we have working with us at Guiding Light Hospice, we personally know and we hire them from having worked with them before. So um, I can actually vouch for the people who work for us. And um, we know exactly what they're doing when they go into patients' homes or nursing facilities, and we have a good time. I love that. <clears throat> I think that's I think that's fantastic, and I and I like you know when people get uh, kind of take the long path um, because I think when we do that, we appreciate getting there and our arrival a little bit more. I think a lot of times our vision is a little bit clearer um, because we you know it wasn't obvious to us. We kind of had to to work to get to where we were at, and it was an evolution. Um, and to me, any type of evolution is usually an educational experience <laughs> for us, um, if, it, if it's a traumatic one or not. Now, with Guiding Light Hospice, do you do um, palliative care too? or And maybe you can describe the difference between hospice and palliative care as well, because I, I think a lot of people get the two of them confused. Right. Well, palliative care, um, I can tell you my, my father was on palliative care when he was at home, and we had a, a great hospice company. It was one of our, um, it's one of my competitors now, but um, there's a big difference, and I can tell you how we improved, how I learned from that service that my dad and mom got um, at home. But palliative care started out when somebody was just needing to be, overseen, um, they needed assistance. Their visits are, you know, not so much clinical yet. It's not a matter of um, somebody who is actively dying. Um, a, a doctor, mm -hmm. a physician has a different um, definition through um, the billing process for Medicare. So it's more in um, the pre-hospice um, stage, I would say. Um, when you're um, on actually hospice services, um, Medicare Part A does pay for um, all of the services for um, anybody who is on hospice care, and they do have a diagnosis of six months or less. But as everyone mm -hmm. knows, it's very hard to um, guess if they actually when someone is going to expire, um, especially if they are on Alzheimer's or dementia. So the difference is really um, more acute, I would say, um, somebody who really needs some assistance or some nursing assistance is, is really what the difference would be. Okay, and I and I can vouch for that. You know, hard to uh, 
predict how long someone's going to be on hospice because my mom was on hospice for, oh, gosh, I don't know how many months, and then she improved. And so then she was taken off hospice, and it's been probably a year and a half now, and she's still maintaining and, and doing well. And so I, I think with dementia, like especially, it's it's even more difficult to predict, um, you know, right. where things are it, at yeah, and my, which direction they're going. Right. And when my dad was at home, he initially was on palliative care, and then later he had a couple falls, and, you know, he just needed more assistance, and, and he was um, put on hospice. And, and you know, they, they were great. You know, the nurse came in once a, once a week, and the aide would come in once or twice a week. Um, and then, you know, the social worker would come in once a month and, and things of that nature. Um, and they were great with him, and they were a great support to my family. Um, and, and if I could just say that um, after my dad passed away eight months later, my mom had passed away um, at home also. She was, um, there's a diagnosis called failure to thrive. It's like someone just giving up. So after being married to my dad for 65 years, um, of course, she, you know, kind of gave up. And so um, she also went on hospice, and she also died at home. And, and the hospice company was really, really good. I mean, they're great people. Everybody says hospice people are angels in the business. Mm-hmm. People call me an angel, and my mom would laugh. She really would laugh that so many people call me an angel. But I think what I learned <laughs> from the hospice services that were provided to both of my parents is what was missing was um, it wasn't enough about them and their life, and it wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, something about reading a paper to my dad who couldn't read the paper anymore. It was something mm-hmm. about someone wasn't taking my mom, like, to the grocery store because that's what she loved to do almost every day. She'd find an excuse to go to the grocery store for bread or milk or something. And that's mm-hmm. what Guiding Light Hospice does that's different. If someone wants to go to the store, we get into the store. If someone wants, you know, used to read the Wall Street Journal, we'll read the Wall Street Journal. I mean, I think I learned a lot about what was missing from that experience. And, you know, we we had fun. So, you know, I learned a lot from that experience with my own family. And, and I can honestly say with all the family dynamics that are out there, that when you're watching a loved one die, it's it's challenging every day um, to just try and keep your sanity. But um, we try and keep people cohesive and and, um, being able to not feel guilty, but try and share in good feelings when when a loved one is passing away. So, Monica, would you you say it's about, because you were saying in, in terms of your mom, shopping was important to her, so it's it's very important to think about that personalization and right. knowing we, who yeah, that individual is. Care. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we call it person-centered, and, and what it really is is you, you have to know what somebody loved to do um, or what they did or what they didn't like to do or what they liked to eat or what they didn't like to eat. And those are the kind, kinds of things that help us provide better care. Now, in order to to figure out what a person likes, do you have an inventory that you take, like a questionnaire, you know, upon um, services being hired so that you can figure that out, or is it kind of an intuitive thing that staff play along with, you know, over time? Um, Well, we initially, upon every admission, um, myself or Karen 
or Kathy, our clinical director, we go and meet with the families. We go and see the patient. I always even like to see the patients before I meet the family because, you know, I like to get my own feeling. Um, but um, initially, if the patient, and a lot of our patients um, are alert and oriented, can answer. Um, some cannot, and so we count on the family for kind of a social history. But um, right there on the initial visit, uh, from before even signing the paperwork, we want to know about the individual and we want to know about the family. And, and it's really important, I think, to get that um, in the beginning. So even talking somebody with a family the second time, the more you know about the resident and the more you know about them, you're, you're really providing um, a personalized, self-centered um, type of, of service that I don't think anybody else does. Uh, you know, I think it's 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 very beautiful what you're doing, and I don't hear of a lot of companies in that stage um, doing what it is you're doing. Um, I think I think it's still very personalized, but it seems like you're taking it to a different level, adding in that activities piece. And um, can you talk to us a, a little bit more? And, and maybe Michelle, you know, you can um, since you guys use Monica, um, maybe you can share a little bit more. I'll pull uh, pull Michelle in a little bit for her bird's eye view of what it is you do, and then have you add in after if that's okay. Michelle? Well, actually, I've had the pleasure of um, serving under Monica as uh, my administrator for um, seven years. So it, it was a pleasure because we both shared the vision of person-centered care. And I learned a lot from her. As my administrator, I can um, – she allowed me to do things that other people – didn't think was possible. I can recall um, at the facility that we did work at prior wanting to have a black tie affair. And a family member saying to me, why would you have a black tie affair for an individual that has uh, dementia or Alzheimer's disease? And um, she said, I, I think that that is so stupid. Well, I went to go talk to Monica about it, and I said, Monica, this is what I want to do. Um, their quality of life should not change based on a diagnosis, they should still be able to enjoy and have those things that they want and, and need. And so she allowed me the freedom to make this happen. And I can say that ended up being a beautiful day and that I went out into the community, I educated people on it, I involved them um, in what I wanted to do. There was a gentleman from COIN, I think it was COIN and Stern, and he said, okay, Michelle, I'm glad you came and had this conversation with me because my mother has Alzheimer's, and I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll come into your facility, and I'll, provide, um, I'll measure all the men, and I will provide them with tuxedos, the shoes, and everything, as long as you return everything back the way that I gave it to you. And he did just that. And so she taught me a lot about Wow. Um, yeah, Ramon, Monica, do you remember that? The black tie. Uh, it was one of the best had. times I've ever had. I wore a tux too. I loved it. The residents <laughs> looked beautiful. Michelle looked beautiful. You know, you could tell by M Michelle's picture on the website that she loves to pose. She was in so many pictures, but all of the residents were in pictures. They were in pictures with their loved ones. I mean, we, you know, there was great big band music. You know, the 
the whole um the whole time, you know, every all the food was hors d'oeuvres and champagne and you know, it was everything was just like if you would go to the 95th of the John Hancock for the residence. It was absolutely beautiful. And that was Michelle's vision. And, you know, I get so excited. You know, I mean, they say a good a good manager is, you know, you're the best manager you can be when you have the best people working for you because they're the ones that make you look good. And, you know, I always thought I was the best activities director on the planet. But then Michelle, you know, comes along and, you know, she's a little bit younger. She's got a little bit more ideas. So, you know, I think we worked really well together because whatever she wanted to do um, and she had the vision for, um, I only supported her because I loved it. I, I don't I don't think there's anything that we um, ever did together or couldn't ever do together. I mean, even Michelle went so far as to make a CD um, at the um, CCRC that we worked for with family members sharing their experiences with their loved ones and how the onset happened, and boy, it was a real tearjerker to hear these family members sharing their experiences about going through the process of of someone having Alzheimer's and dementia. And everyone out there somehow gets touched by that. But then you bring them to a place where you have Michelle and I in a, in a building and you go to these great black tie parties or, you know, these great Halloween parties. And, you know, it, it's, it makes such a difference in people's, um, I think, think memories towards the end. I think it's what makes it so good to be able to have people like Michelle around to make it. Every affair for Michelle is top of the line, every affair. And you can, like for Monica, Monica is all heart when it comes to this. You can go into some places and they don't even know what goes on on the floor. I can tell you Monica knew each and every one of her family members. She knew each and every one of her residents. She had an open-door policy. You go in some places and and the individual is just sitting behind the desk, and they can't tell you what goes on in their facility. She knew everything that went on in her facility, and she knew everything about each resident. Um, Again, very person-centered. And then that was something that I learned, too, as well. So I would go to the families. I established those relationships. I talked to them to incorporate a piece of everyone and everything that I did. I'll never forget the police officer who he had a twin. They were twins. And um, I didn't know much about him. So as his family came and they started to visit, and he didn't really talk much, and, and I didn't really know how to engage him. So I said, okay, let me read up a little bit about his history because I wanted him to, I wanted to pull out that person that that was in prison from um, being diagnosed with Alzheimer's. So I found out that he used to be a Chicago police officer. And in being a Chicago police officer, that was something that he loved to do. He had a whole bunch of police officers in his family. So I went out and I got this walkie-talkie and I had one for him and I had one for me. I found out even as deep as what his beat was. And so I came in and I said, um, 2111, because he was 2111. 
And for a man that didn't speak to me, just kind of always frowned, and so he knew automatically how to work this walkie-talkie. And he was like, 2111? <laughs> and uh, so I was like, 2111? And so, you know, uh, I'm kind of a jokester. So I was like, 2111, it's, it's a burglary in progress, and I need you to um, check on room number so-and-so. But it was my office. Well, I forgot because I had to go into a meeting. So sure enough, I get this phone call that says, um, you're going to have to do something because, you know, he won't let anybody out of your office because it's a burglary process. <laughs> but it made him <laughs> it made him come to life. And from that point on, he and I were able to um, have that conversation. Now, I couldn't give him assignments like that every day, but what I did was I went to the um, the community police officer that knew about him and his history, and they came in the building on regularity to have that conversation with him where he could be able to relate to that past thing that was familiar to him, and that was very meaningful to him. So that, again, was an individual that I had reached because I took the time to know who he was. It's it's beautiful. You can just hear it in, in um, both your voices, Michelle and Monica, in terms of your passion. And, you know, Monica, you had talked about, you know, being a good manager and what that is. And, and I think what it really is is allowing others to be their very best and believing in their cause and believing in their missions and, and helping them meet their passion. And, you know, that's what the show is, is really all about today is, is helping people explore their passions. And, oh, I feel bad. We just lost a couple of callers. I was just going to pull them in, and um, they just hung up. They were on the on the line there for a bit. Um, but if you're still listening, you know, go ahead and push your hand up. Uh, um, I just needed to finish conversations before I could before I can pull somebody in. But we did have a couple of people that looked like they wanted to make a comment there for a bit. So I'll just keep monitoring that. But I think it's really important to, you know, feel it. Um, you know, we can be as analytical as we want and talk about patient-centered care, but until people feel it on a heart and soul level, um, I don't think that we can really implement it to have the impact that needs to be there. And, again, you can hear it in both of your voices as you're talking and how excited you are to engage with these people and to, to see them come alive, to see them have purpose, to to um, just connect. And it, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, and there's so many more experiences that can be had because when you allow someone to blossom, you know, and you're, your story with the the police monitor and stuff is a perfect example. Um, not only are you giving him purpose and filling his soul, but Michelle, you just exude what you got out of that and how good that made you feel. And so every time we take these steps to help somebody else, we're really helping ourselves create some remarkable moments and um, and giving us purpose in terms of. You know, what are we doing here? There's a caller back, so I'm going to pull them in here. So just a second. Um, we've got a caller on the line from a 708 number. Who do I have on the line here? I, well, you might have Dennis Motley if there's someone there talking to me. Hi. <laughs> How are okay. you? Hi. Hi, Dennis. Good, good. And I'm glad. I've been listening. Uh, fascinating. Amazing. Uh, my hat's off to you. I'm in the... Uh, industry where I deal with a lot of people and it's uh 
we're all going to be at one point in our lives in that position, and it's amazing to see that there are people who care and have so much love for strange people, strangers, that uh, they're willing to go beyond the uh, expectation and exceed what uh, some people end-of-life care is about. My question is, is, as an individual who have no problems right now, is there anything that we can do as as uh, to, how would I say, prevent uh, having these issues as far as dementia and Alzheimer's, or is it just something that's going to happen regardless of our diet, regardless of our environment? So I'm going to listen to the answer, and hopefully uh, there's something in the future that I can do either uh, voluntarily or monetarily, because I think what you guys are doing is so so amazing. Okay, great. Thanks for your question, Dennis. Uh, does anybody here want to answer that question, or do you want me to go ahead and um, take that? I, I could just, um, if, if you don't mind, this is Monica, I could just go ahead and respond. Yeah, um, please. I, I think everyone has to go to their own physician. Um, there are medications out there um, that are, I don't think anything really has been um, right now found out to really cure um, or prevent. There are medications that um, allegedly slow down the process, but I, I think, um, you know, what you can do is you can see your own physician, especially if you have a history of, mm -hmm. of Alzheimer's or dementia. Um, you, you really want to make sure that your own physician knows that. Um, but I think just to be educated on it, you can get educated anywhere, but um, People like Guiding Light Hospice or nursing facilities, they could always use volunteers. And I think when you experience it firsthand, it kind of helps you prepare for the future a little better. And then also, um, Mr. Motley, if I may, you're African-American, correct? Yes, I am. So in, in knowing that, um, as Monica was saying, just paying attention to your history, because we're um, we're the number one prevalent, for acquiring the disease because we have those pre-existing conditions. So if if you know you have hypertension or someone in your family that has hypertension or diabetes, those are things that you want to look at. Those are things that you want to manage. Um, because we're number one prevalent, you want to make yourself familiar with those beginning warning signs because it's no longer a disease that's affecting individuals that are 65 and older. You're beginning to see a new culture, and a new culture includes those individuals that are within the baby boomer age. So it could it, it could be myself, it could be Monica, you know, it could be you. So you you really want to pay attention. I know another thing that they talk about is um, just keeping your mind stimulated. That doesn't mean that you won't acquire the disease but um, it, it may slow the process. You know, we're not really sure right now in terms of research, but just keeping yourself busy, keeping yourself knowledgeable, keeping yourself educated, and really being aware of the fact that African Americans are number one prevalent. So if you have any of those preexisting conditions, you want to make sure that you're in with your physician on regularity. I appreciate that information. I love, um, you know, Monica saying, you know, to, to stay engaged and, and, and volunteer. I think one of the biggest problems we, we have to um, get over with this disease is, one, they really don't know what causes it. And, you know, two, there's not a cure for it. So 
we need to remove the fear. And the only way to remove the fear is to get involved, to find out what it's really all about. And I think once you cross over that line, it'll be a little scary initially, but then you are just, you're blessed with these connections that you can make with people, the difference that you can have in their life. And, you know, if you can share that with others, that just, you know, it's this rollerball, um, this snowball effect of raising awareness on a, a whole different level, one of interaction, not one of statistics, not one of research, but one of the real living laboratory, you know, that is our world today. The, the other thing I want to comment on um, that I think we really also need to address is, you know, Michelle made a really good point about um, African Americans being so high risk. And when I go into most um, nursing home or assisted livings, you know, I have to tell you, I don't see a lot of African Americans. So what is happening to to your culture? You know, is it, you know, it seems like it's a more hidden disease even and, you know, that families are really trying to cope at home with this. And so I think we really have to get more and more support and education out to them um, because it's, um, you know, it's very important that everybody has the right tools and support to be able to maneuver through this disease. And um, Michelle or, or um, Grace or um, Monica and, and Dennis, if you have any comments on my comments, please please come forward. Well, well you know, those at-risk, higher at-risk communities, I know personally for me I've been making myself available. Actually, there are two that are identified, um, that's African-Americans and Hispanics. And I think, Monica, if I'm wrong, you can correct me. I know um, historically, you know, in terms of Hispanic, culturally, they keep their parents at home. <laughs> and mm-hmm. they take care of their parents at home. Would that be correct to say that, Monica? Oh, you're, you're absolutely you're absolutely right. I mean, I mean, if they can, you know, I mean, um, my family was very blessed to have a brother um, who lived with my parents and then um, further along, my sister and I live close by, but um, we would do anything possible to, to keep our parents at home. And But, you know, there comes a time when just people um, deteriorate and you really can't keep them at home. I mean, some people wander. Some people um, get very confused and, and become combative and frightened and, and paranoid. And, you know, you can't keep those kind of people at home. It's just not for the caregiver or the patient themselves. Um, so when push comes to shove, um, sometimes they have to. But, oh, yeah, Hispanics generally would do anything to keep anybody in their home. And, you know, that, that's just the way historically um, Hispanics are. And, and then in conjunction in that, you're looking at a change in the economy. Health care is so expensive. <laughs> so if you if you think about um eighty thousand dollars a year, I think that may be right in terms of having your, your loved one care for, even if you were making six figures, that's that's a lot to be able to afford. So now people need to start to, as you were saying, have those conversations, know uh what the resources are. I had a young lady that I met um maybe a month ago. I found out she lived maybe within two miles. And so she she was in tears because she's trying to figure out what to do with her mom at home. So I said, well, you know what, I'm going to get in my car, I'm going to drive to your house, and I'm going to give you some resources, some 
suggestions because I carry everything in the trunk of my car. So for me, it's about being an educator within those areas um, among those populations that don't really have those resources and don't really have the knowledge about it. In terms of the African-American community, you know, most of us grew up in families where you just don't talk about stuff outside the house. And um, Mm -hmm. they're still in the old thoughts of, oh, she's just senile or whatever, and not, you know, because they're not educated on it, they don't even know, (laughs) you know, uh, what dementia is, that there are different forms of dementia or have never heard of the Alzheimer's thing. And so, again, and then you don't dare speak about it. Well, mom was putting something in the the oven and she blew up the microwave. You know, you don't don't take that outside the house. So we have to, you know, uh, break that old culture in order Uh to... Um, embrace the new and to learn what it is that we need to learn to be successful in combating this thing. Well, I, you know, I was on a chat room the other day and uh, somebody had made a, a comment about, um, and they were disagreeing with the all, you know, people refer to the world of Alzheimer's. You have to enter the world of Alzheimer's. And, and, and you know, I look at that and go, you know what, we are one world. And we have a lot of um, symptoms and chronic illnesses and, and all types of things that are that make up our world. And I, I hate for us to go into this small realm or category instead of living fully in the big realm, you know, and becoming the disease and becoming, you know, held by the shame and the stigma. Because I think a lot of times, too, with people, they they keep, people at home because culturally, you know, that's how they were brought up. Um, right. But it might not be the best. It might be better to um, call in, you know, somebody, um, you know, like Grace with alternative home care or someone like Monica uh, with hospice. Um, but people don't feel that it's acceptable. And so we really need to educate people that, you know, this disease is bigger than than any of us, and we need to work together, and we we have to remove this fear and this shame um, and, and not keep it behind closed doors because if we keep it, you know, in our own homes and if we're, if we're not honest, it's not only going to be nonproductive for the people dealing with the disease, but it's not going to help the world know the true story of the effects. And then um, because and the, they're... I was going to say because they're affecting them now at younger ages, people are afraid to to talk about it. Somebody in their 50s is afraid to say, I have dementia. Um, But they can't be, you know, afraid to talk about it if they see some different transitions of things happening within their life that doesn't just seem like normal aging. Um, They can't be afraid to begin to have that discussion. And then we have to pay attention to it more as, healthcare providers because within the setting that I'm in, I'm starting to see people come in in their 40s and their, you know, their 50s, and I'm like, oh, my God. And so then I have to personalize programs for them to even be able to meet their needs. So the conversations, we have to have them. Exactly. This is Grace. Uh, That's where our service comes in. Um, we provide caregivers in the home, and it is very important that the person taking care of uh, the person with Alzheimer's and dementia is able to meet the needs of that person. Uh, we trained our caregivers 
to understand the disease. That means putting the person first. And we train them uh, sharpening their communication skills. And we train them to be creative in responding to uh, the, uh, the challenging behaviors in the home. And that they need to provide activity-based environments such as reading books, working on puzzles, and um, just different activities that stimulate the brain. The more physical, uh, physically active they are, uh, that's better for them, because um, you know they are. Uh, most of the people that has Alzheimer's uh, that we serve in the home, they are still able to ambulate. They're walking, but they don't know what's going on. And we had a client as young as 40 years old that was stricken with Alzheimer's. And we found out also that the siblings of that certain client were all in a nursing facility suffering with Alzheimer's disease. And it is important that whoever you assign to that certain client, you have to make sure that person is experienced and trained to meet the needs of that person. We just don't put somebody that is available and so we could, you know, make the money. It's important that whoever you assign to that Alzheimer's clients is someone that can meet the needs. Very, and, very, um, very good. And for the people out there, um, I know it costs a lot of money to have a private duty caregivers in the home. But also if you have long-term care insurance, that would cover the private duty caregiver services. And also there is available funds that uh, the counties are extending to the families. It's a federal program that would allow for families who are taking care of children and elderly that would help them with the cost of caregiving. So check out your um, check with your uh, county offices, senior services, and you know what how they can help you. Well, that's great, um, Grace. I, and just to mention too, on the 14th, I am going to have um, two people that will actually um, be able to talk specifically on a couple of benefits. One is on the David. Uh, Bosler with uh, VA benefits because a lot of people aren't aware of that. And the other is uh, Marianne Watts or Marybeth Watson. We're going to talk about um, long-term planning and long-term insurance because those those variables. I mean, they can be pretty reasonable um, and affordable. You know, if you kick things into gear, and sometimes it's just knowing about them. The VA benefit doesn't cost you anything. It's just a matter of filling out paperwork if you were a vet. And so that might be a show that is of interest to people, too, to, to help them be able to tap into some of the services, not only that the person needs, but they need as a caregiver. Um, because as much as we talk about being um, patient-centered and providing the, the proper care, I think we also really need to address being care-balanced. And care-balanced to me is, you know, not getting 
overwhelmed and burdened, but really pulling in the support that you need as a caregiver. And it might be a service like hospice or home health care, or it it might be um, that someone is placed like where Michelle is at, or it might be just going out and having coffee with friends that will give you balance in your life. It might be respite. There's many different types of things, but we have to we have to have balance not only for the patient or the resident who is diagnosed with this disease, but for, for the people who are giving the care as well. And not always um, can the person that you are caring for give you what you need back, depending on you know what stage they are in the illness and what you're able to pull from that relationship um, anymore. Does that make sense to people? Yeah, and if Lori, I can just interject. You know, part of the um, part of what is attractive about hospice is Medicare Part A um, covers hospice. I'd say ninety um, percent of the cost of everything once someone is signed on to a hospice. Um, Guiding Light Hospice never charges the other ten percent to families, so we just say that Medicare Part A covers everything, and we provide all the medications that are. Um, included as to what would be needed for the person's diagnosis to put them on hospice. We also um, provide all of the, um, sometimes people are incontinent, the adult diapers. We provide specialty chairs, specialty beds, um, oxygen. That's all covered by a hospice service. So I think people don't realize how all of those expenses and just having one company provide it all really takes a burden off the family. And, um, you know, I just wanted to interject one other thing about education and and educating people. Um, Part of what Guiding Light Hospice also does is we provide um, continuing um, education credits for healthcare professionals. Um, All of our CEUs, um, that social workers, administrators, nurses, um, therapists need for their license continuing education credits are provided by um, a company called Continuing Education Institute of Illinois. And um, healthcare professionals, um, all of us who have licenses um, that need to get renewed have a requirement to continue education. And I think what we do very well um, in partnership with um, the Continuing Education Institute is um, we help professionals understand hospice. Um, they provide so many geriatric programs, dementia programs. Um, they have programs um, and provide continuing education credits with the Alzheimer's Association. But it's not just for people that need continuing education requirements. I mean, they have doctors, pharmacists speak. They have so many people that are, you know, right there on the forefront with Alzheimer's and um, being able to educate everybody. So, you know, if you ever want some information for anybody, um, they could just go to um, um, www.continuingeducationpartner.com and anybody can go, and and sometimes the fees are, you know, for a one-day, sometimes you can go for a series, but it's great education to learn about different diagnosis and different diseases that help uh, happen in the elderly. So I'd recommend anybody to be able to go. And you can really get some great insight, even family members out there that just want some more education because you can't do enough to educate the public, I think. And so it's nice to be able to go to places that have opportunities. 
I agree, too. Um, I want to pull Grace a little bit more into the conversation, but I want to give you a formal introduction, Grace. Grace Devalian is the Operations Manager for Alternative Home Care, and um, she, she basically runs the day-to-day operations. Her duties consist of recruitment and placement, as well as um, interpersonal relationships with not only employees and facility professionals, but clients and their families. She's also um, administrates teamwork and, and leadership and establishing the office so that it just runs um, effectively with her coworkers. But most importantly, um, Grace retains her compassion for the elderly and the professionalism to meet each of her clients' individual needs. Um, Grace started her early career as a successful sales director. However, she shifted her focus and, um, and her efforts onto the healthcare field as she saw a need for quality um, for caregivers. She understands the physical and emotional needs of the senior community um, as well as emphasizing um, that with family members. Her hard work and dedication has earned her a place within the board of directors for AHC's sister company, Alternative Home Health Plus Care, Inc. So again, welcome um, welcome to the show, Grace. And um, I want to ask you how you and Michelle uh, got to know one another, and, and what is your, you know, your professional relationship there, and you know, how are you doing things a little bit different um, to shift dementia care? Okay. Um, how I get to know Michelle is we have our events and um, marketing director, whose name is also Michelle Mangolabnan, and um, they come to the facility and we provide. Uh, care to the residents that are going home and also provide them with skilled nursing care with home health for, with our sister company. And um, our company is dedicated um, to helping our clients lead dignified and independent lifestyle in the comfort and safety of their own homes. And um, we feel that a lot of people out there, when they have a family member who is ill, and you know, automatically they will say, "Oh, maybe um, we could take them to a nursing home," but they still have a choice to keeping that um, family member at home in uh, providing a personal care caregiver. Uh, the caregivers mm-hmm. are. Um, we pick the best personnel who understands each our individual um, needs and are fully trained to meet all those expectations. And um, in 11 years uh, in this business, we it's just, you know, when you hear different stories and 40% of our clientele are stricken with Alzheimer's and dementia, and we have mm-hmm. a lot of concerns at home with people calling us and saying we have the we have our dad and mom at home and uh we cannot handle it and we have our you know sister or brother or a spouse and so they come to us and uh we have a registered nurse go out and assess the situation before we could put somebody that we could match them because it is important that we 
personalize the needs of a client. And um, we provide home care services, in, including you know assisting with grooming needs and personal hygiene, supervising or assisting with showers and baths. And uh, we provide uh, routine skin care, assisting with dressing and undressing, and giving medication reminders, and assisting with um, uh, exercises, which is very important in the home. Um, mm-hmm. We also have caregivers that are skilled companions, and we carefully filtered and screened before we hire, including back, you know, doing background checks. And um, we, with the people that we have, like 90% of the caregivers that work with us, they've been with us for more than nine or eight years. So we've been working with same people um, for a long time, and this peop- the people that we have, they go from one family to another, and uh, they're very experienced. And um, it's this service. You know, a lot of people might not know that uh, you could get a caregiver in like in two hours if you need them, and we provide that service. And it is very important that the people that work with elderly that has compassion and are very caring and dependable, because I we tell the caregiver all the time, and I myself tell them, you know, we all work for to make money, but your heart has to be in it. And if your heart is not in it, then it's not a place for you. Exactly. And um Yes, and with the, the the service that we have for home health as well, you know, it is we provide personalized personalized plan of care for each and individual clients by working closely with family members and the corresponding healthcare facilities, and um, it's just personalized care, and that is very okay. important to us. It's it comes from the heart. Okay, Michelle, is there anything you'd like to add about um, Grace's service at all and, and what you see? Well, well, yes. I mean, beyond um, me doing person-centered programming, I'm like the master recruiter for volunteers. So anybody that comes into our residence house sort of say, um, as Grace said, I want to ensure that it's about the heart. <laughs> So, you know, I work very closely with them and collaboratively with them to see how they can not only just work with their residents but add to um, all the residents within the facility. So they have been very phenomenal with um, making their presence very known. Um, They're there all the time. All the events that we have, they're volunteering, um, they support a lot of the things that we have. They make donations. I know just recently uh, this week we had a gentleman that they have a special program. They have a musical uh, component to their program. And so that gentleman now is scheduled, and he comes out to play uh, songs of yesteryear for our residents. Oh, nice. Very nice. Well, that's, you know, I, I, I just love, Michelle, because you really are a master at coordinating people. And, um, you know, you're not afraid to ask for what it is you need for services. And I think that's wonderful because people can donate in, 
time and or money, you know. And a lot of times I think people think when they're asked to donate right away that they think it, it has to be funds, and a lot of people are short on funds. But talent and time is an incredible asset that I think so many times is overlooked. And um, so I, I appreciate your efforts in terms of, um, you know, getting out there and, and not being afraid to ask. That's half the battle, you know, in and of itself, is just getting out there and, and asking. So, um, again, I thank you. Thank you for being such a good example to the rest of us um, on that. Anything else you wanted to add, Grace? Uh, yes. Um, we have um, a lot of uh, programs that uh, we teach, we train our caregivers with to, you know, for uh with Alzheimer's um, client and dementia client. And mm-hmm. the most important thing to us is um, when the caregiver that's providing the care at home, if they're mm-hmm. trained and um, experienced, and, you know, it's not, it will be easier for them to handle uh, the challenging behaviors that we get at home. And we have clients like ranges from age range 40 to 98. And, um, you know, we, that if you put somebody there or other people, other agency that they have caregivers there and they said like, oh, they, they don't know what they're doing. The reason for that because they weren't trained. So they call us and we come in and, you know, help them. So, um, you have to make sure that the, Healthcare provider that you are getting are you know the right person because there's a lot of providers out there, but um, ours is specialized care, and um, that's where we focus, and um, it is very important to us that we have the right person working with the that um, individual. Grace, let me ask you a question: um, What type of follow-up? do you do to ensure that your caregivers are doing what they're supposed to do within the home setting? What type of um, quality assurance process that you have in place? Because I know with a lot of home health care services, the caregivers that come in, I know for my loved one, I wouldn't want to know that the person is just coming in, sitting down, watching television with them. Um, Time that is utilized is just... um, it's just idolized time, just just going because the person is just there versus providing care, versus engaging them. So what is it that alternative home care, what do you do to ensure that a service, engagement, and all those things are actually being provided? Okay, first of all, we get a hold of family members then then talk to them how things are doing. And we do have a registered nurse that comes out to do assessment and evaluation, and they supervise the caregiver themselves. Uh, We have competency evaluations to make sure that the client's needs are met, and uh, that is done every 90 days. But we do just random visit every so often to different clients that we have and uh, to make sure that the caregiver is doing the job. Okay. Great. I'm going to just um, break in here because it is Veterans Day, and I just wanted to say a word um, in appreciation to all our vets 
And I, I learned something new today. My daughter is an activities director um, for Volunteers of America, and she was going to do a little, um, you know, kind of celebration today. And so I'm going to read a little something that she had uh, given to me because I am not a big history buff, um, sorry to say, um, but I do so appreciate all of our veterans. And so on November 11th in 1918, on the 11th hour of the 11th month, the world rejoiced and celebrated after four years of a bitter battle. The war to end all wars was over, and in 1954, President Eisenhower signed a bill proclaiming this day, November 11th, as Veterans Day. It is time to honor those who have served America in all the wars and who have been part of all of our armed forces. Today, um, you know, we just need to thank all of those who have have defended this country and stepped up and carried such a heavy burden uh, for the rest of us. And um, there's a service being held today, too, at the Tomb of the Unknowns at 11 a.m. But I just thought it was kind of ironic because it's, it is November 11th of 2011, at 11 a.m., and I never had that tie-in um, hour-wise, and I thought, well, we can we can do something on our show about that. So thank you so much, again, to all the veterans and all the families and friends supporting the veterans. Um, please acknowledge, acknowledge them all. So we'll go ahead and get back to our show again here. And um, maybe I should ask this question, our... Um, and this is going to put you all on the spot, but is anybody doing anything special for Veterans Day? I know a lot of people have the day off work and and things. And you're well, off here today, with us today. I'm off today, but my residents are having a party, <laughs> a celebration, Good. and we do have um, we do have companies that have donated um, special <clears throat> gifts for those individuals that have served. And okay. that uh, they will be acknowledged and recognized today. This is Monica. Can you hear me? Yes. Yep. Hello. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. I got caught off and I'm back on now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I just wanted to say yesterday um, I actually was at Michelle's visit and I had a flag book. Um, and we were talking about, you know, just about the flag and then um, – Actually, there's a gentleman who was in the Air Force, and he's got a little bit of dementia going on, but he was sitting around with us at the table, and we got him talking about the flag, but then we got him talking about the Air Force, and he was telling us about um, when he used to fly airplanes, and um, then he got a little confused, and the girls, you know, we went back to the discussion about flags and looking at the pictures and things like that. So um, for Guiding Light Hospice, we try to, um, I try to have an activities calendar so when our CNAs or nurses go out um, to people's homes or facilities, they know what day it is. So, you know, I ask them to Google like the flag or Veterans Day so they can have discussions or just talk about it or play music. I mean, it's, it's a good day to play all kinds of Battle Hymn of the Republic, um, all kinds of music um, for Veterans Day. So that's what... Um, all of us are doing today um, when we're with residents is actually having an active discussion or playing music about Veterans Day. Oh, great, great. I, you know, and I, I just love that you do specific um, activities for your residents. I just, I, I, I just 
think that that's wonderful, or for your patients, I should say, um, because I think that is over and above what so many do um, in terms of just kind of getting the day-to-day tasks down, and it just enriches everybody's life. So much yeah, more. and you know, you don't find you don't find a lot of people as the director of operations, or um, even as Karen as the administrator of Guiding Light Hospice, who actually go see the residents and go to facilities and actually do it ourselves. I mean, we're part of the team, and we believe in leading by example. And it's fun for me. I mean, I have my own kit of activities to bring to facilities or people's homes. I mean, I love shopping at um, Michael's, you know, to buy crafts, arts and crafts for our employees um, to be able to do. I can't, you know, I'm so excited about Christmas coming because all of our aides and nurses get, you know, buckets of things to bring places and to do crafts. And, you know, then facilities like Michelle's, they have art shows where we can actually display um, our Mm -hmm. arts and crafts that our residents do. And, And sometimes people can't do them at all, but it's all about us being there and they watch us do it or they do a very small portion and we still recognize it as their own and you know it's because we're there spending time with them um, I think is what adds to the quality whether they you know can actually do it or not I think they just like us spending time with them and again Lori like for program directors that are out there if you coordinate with your providers that come in you're able to expand your program because there's always something going on. So when there's always something going on, you know there's always a resident that's being um, touched, that's being embraced in some sort of way. Yep, that that makes a lot of makes a lot of sense. I'm just going to reach out to our listeners again and see if anybody has any questions or comments. Um, feel free to raise your hand or. Type something in the the chat box, and we'll be glad to to field your question or comment. In the meantime, you know, I want to ask um, the three of you if if um, either of you have any ideas of maybe programs or concepts that you would like to see instituted in the future, but maybe you just haven't gotten to that you're willing to share. And I'm going to throw this out to um, to Michelle first. Is there anything you've got up the, up your sleeve that you're kind of itching to get at um, to improve <laughs> dementia care culture, but um, haven't quite rolled it out yet? Well, well, right now my my major focus, and it's actually always have been my focus, is on the education component. Um, and because mm-hmm. there are still a lot of individuals that we have to reach uh, at Westchester for the month of December. We're having a big art exhibition entitled The Alter Ego of Alzheimer's Disease. So I am working with a few um, community photographers to capture the pictures and then also show that alter ego, what it looks like, what it feels like to begin the conversation so people can start to talk about it within those communities that don't talk about it, within those families that don't talk about it, and so they can actually see it. And so this will be, it it will start where we are, but then it will end up being a very uh, mobile exhibition that I plan to take throughout the Chicagoland area and neighboring suburbs. Wonderful. Well, that sounds really exciting. And and I think photography is so powerful. 
um, on so many levels. And, um, you know, it, it's just uh, that that'll be really neat. You'll have to keep me posted on that. Maybe we can have you come to Minnesota and share that at a conference or something, too, because I know you're seeing more um, more photography exhibits regarding um, Alzheimer's disease and dementia, which I think is just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it, it changes people's um, mindsets and heartsets in terms of what this disease really is and, you know, how one interacts with it and who gets it. You know, the whole face of the disease is changing as well. So kudos, Michelle. That's very exciting. How about you, Grace? Is there anything that you are um, kind of thinking about instituting or maybe something that you've rolled out recently that's a little bit different um, or a need that you've thought about and that's all you've done is just thought this is a need but haven't taken it any further that could change our dementia care culture? Uh, yes. Um I I always like uh, envision about um having community programs like our our company would go out and share with senior communities and um with our clients and their families, you know, about um Alzheimer's and just maybe like um an exercise program because as you know, when you keep your you have to keep your brain active every day and it helps uh-huh. with the disease and mentally stimulate, uh, stimulating activities straighten the brain cells. And the theory is that exercise not only increases blood flow and oxygen to the brain, and it also reduces the uh, plaque in the brain. And, um, mm-hmm. it, and a lot of people and family members doesn't know that. And it's just like education, you know, educating them and sharing with them. And maybe getting somebody that would do like yoga exercises and things like that in the senior community that we go to. Michelle and Dave goes out and do the, all these events. And this is what I'd like to see in the future. Okay. Um, I, I think that's great. I'm going to just put on my Facebook here, so if anybody wants it, there is a um, a gal in my area in Minnesota, um, Kelly Lindahl, who also has a home health care company, but she has started a little cable show called Active Aging. And it's really, it's pretty cool. It's, it's on YouTube, um, Active Aging, and you can go ahead and exercise. You know, she's kind of a little fitness guru and stuff. And so it's just kind of a fun thing. I go to a lot of um, different uh, communities and stuff, and I'll see it playing, and the, the residents can just participate or people at home can as well, um, either, again, through YouTube or through, you know, if they're, in Minnesota here with the normal uh, cable channels and stuff. So if anyone's interested in that, it's free, and it's just kind of a neat neat thing that ties in with what you're talking about. But it's very helpful for people. And, again, it's, it's all about getting engaged and, um, you know, just taking things to another level. How about you, Monica? Anything up your sleeve? Oh, God. I, you know, I have two sleeves, Lori, so... I, 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 you know, I, I was going to really, say, one sleeve's not going to do it for you, I could just tell. Right. 
Yeah, you know, and you know, you, you've got, um, you've, I think there's only an hour left or so, so I'll try and be as brief as possible. But um, I, I also want to tell you, you know, I'm, I'm on the board for Active Seniors Options, which is um, right up the line of what you're talking about. Um, uh, Dr. William Gingold from the University of Illinois out in Champaign or Bur Urbana. Um, this is his. Um, company and you know it's a lot about education and training but it's a lot about you know people going someplace and taking a, a test and you know he's there and um, you know they, they really it's it's so hands-on I really encourage people to go to actor active seniors options um, website to take a look at what they have to offer but it's about getting people physically involved and you know having a good idea of what to talk to their doctor about but as far as um, Guiding Light Hospice is concerned you know I um, my boss Karen gave me an, an iPad and I am very fortunate to at one time in my life I played the accordion so um, I am very good right-handed on the little piano that's on the um, um, on the iPad. And, you know, when I go sit with patients, and sometimes I go sit with patients that are on continuous care, um, you know, they may not be responding or something, but, you know, I'm either there chatting with them about something, I'll mark the Stewart magazine, or I'm practicing on the iPad. And I've had a couple people actually be with me while I've learned heart and soul with one hand on the iPad. So I think that iPad is a beautiful idea and has so much to offer to bring right to the bedside of people. But even better than that, when I bring people my iPad or computer um, or pictures and it's a big enough screen that even the people that are very challenged in seeing can see it, they're amazed. They're amazed at the technology. But to be able to see their own daughter's or granddaughter's pictures right there in front of them or a picture of um, us together um, the week before in our Halloween costumes. I think technology, I, I can't wait to get enough of that to be able to um, be able to bring so much more to people um, in facilities or at their bedsides or in their homes. Um, I, I have, you know, the CNAs and, and the nurses, they Google on, you know, um, YouTube and they get somebody's favorite uh, uh, musician, you know, big band music or something, and they put it on the speakerphone and, and they're right there with what, whatever a resident is requesting. And I think technology, there's just so much more to bring to people, and, and that's one thing. Another thing is we have Karma, our 90-pound uh, French Mastiff, who is Karen's dog, who's been with us since she's eight weeks old, and she was then only about 10 pounds, and now she's nine months old, 90 pounds, and we've trained her. Um, she's in pet therapy training. She goes to everyone. She visits everyone. She's an excellent um, love mate. Um, you know, she has a name badge, and, you know, she'll be certified. But residents love most of them, and there's a couple that probably don't care for them, but they love the pets, the actual pet, you know, the slobber, the, you know, just being able to touch them, you know, they jump up on the beds, and you know, if they want to, but, you know, posing with pictures and things, I mean, they love that. I mean, pet therapy is, is just, I can't say it does enough for people. It's like pets and kids. I mean, it's, it's just naturally something that brings smiles to people's faces. So, you know, I, and, you know, and I am going to school at Northwestern in the um, 
art therapy certificate program. And I can't say enough about art. And, you know, even people that say, you know, I don't know how to do that, I don't know how to paint, they always get started interesting in just looking or following. And, you know, it just, I think, really helps with people being able to express something of how they're feeling, how they're seeing. And I do a lot of abstract art, you know, so I just do my little abstract little um, what project, whatever I'm doing. And it might not mean anything to anybody else, but it means something to me. And that's what I try to get other people to give me, just a piece of themselves on paper or with clay. Or, um, you know, I tell them that we're making ornaments or we're making wreaths um, to donate to other people. And they always like the idea of being able to help or to give. And I like people to feel that usefulness. I think it's important. I, I agree. And I think when it comes to art, you know, people still have in their minds that it's a judgmental thing, you know, that it has to be perfect. And and there is no right or wrong to art. It's just an expression of emotions in a place in time. And um, it, it, there is no wrong way to do it. And I think if you are the person facilitating that and come across as, you know, everything is acceptable, everything is good, um, then it opens the doors. But if someone is trying to know that's not right and hold your, hold your you know, paintbrush like this or why did you use that color, I mean, that scrunches us, you know. And so right. it's all about right. this, this openness and this freedom to, to just be, just to be involved, just to – it might be – feeling the texture or taking in a, a sound or a smell or, you know, it, it doesn't make any difference. It's, it's just all about the engagement and opening up the senses and the, and the mind and the heart to just evolve and, and be. And, and to me, that's just the beautiful part of art. I mean, we've heard of um, people, and I, and I had uh, like Dan and Ellen Potter on, whose dad got dementia and went into an art program, and now his exhibits have traveled the world. Um, and he never painted. And then all of a sudden, it was in there, you know. It, so it's it's amazing. Or, you know, you hear about music therapy all the time. Again, another really simple thing that people can partake in that doesn't have to cost a lot of money. Um, and it doesn't, again, have to be perfect. It's it's about having fun because, you know, music is one of the last things to go in the brain um, with this disease typically, not for everybody. And for most of us, music ties in um, some emotional points in our life. And so if we can figure out what those triggers are that bring people joy, you know, we can play that type of music. Um, because, again, it's not about what music we like as a caregiver, it's about being patient-centered and pulling them out. And once they're happy and and um, joyful, it's, it's a contagious thing. You know, even if you're fried out as a caregiver, um, when, you're, when you're a patient, when your loved one is feeling joyful and relaxed, it calms you down. It fills you up. You're able to, to breathe and... Um, and do more there. So there's many, many things. I know I, I I feel like I'm probably like you a lot, Monica, in terms of the two sleeves in a bag and uh, and a in a wagon I'm pulling behind me with ideas. 
of right, what needs right. to go. And I think I think Michelle, you're right there with us as well. And Grace, I I don't know you quite as well, so I can't can't comment there. I do have to mention, you know, I had brought over the um, Memory Cafe from the UK, and you know, we've been struggling a little bit to get the word out on the Memory Cafe. We've been, you know, doing. We don't have a budget or anything, but it's about spreading the word and getting to to different organizations and and groups and trying to pull people in. And we've had, you know, probably six six parties participate um, since June. And we knew that it would be a slow go, and summers here in Minnesota are pretty pretty special. But I have to um, just tell you about not giving up on your passion when you feel, you know, when you feel that in your soul that it's the right thing to do. You know, don't let it go. On Wednesday, I went to our meeting, and I just kind of prayed to myself in the car and said, please, I don't know what else I need to do here, you know, to be able to get the word out to people who who need this service, this free service, which is, you know, the Memory um, Cafe is just a, uh, um, a free social support group for people with early memory loss and their loved ones that are caring for them. And that day we had six new people walk in the door. And I was so touched by their stories because they were all so thrilled to find us. And, um, you know, we're almost in tears just going, thank you for for providing this, for us to have have peers and have a place to go. You know, one gentleman um, was early onset and his wife is at work. And so during the day it gets probably a little lonely, I would imagine, and he just loved being able to interact, you know, and we laughed and had a good time. There was another um, couple that came that was a, a mother and her son. And then another that was very early onset, um, a woman who was diagnosed in her early 50s and is now, I think, 57, 58. Um, Her and her husband came, and they just talked about um, how important it was for them to be able to connect with like-minded people who understood the disease and who just really don't want to become the disease but want to learn how to live with it and um, make friends and kind of create a new family environment because people have pulled away and things have changed. And so, you know, that meeting really just filled my heart, um, you know, to the core. And then we had, of course, um, some of our regular members that came too. But, you know, when we're out here trying to shift this dementia care culture, when something hits you, when you feel it in your core that, it, you know, we need to do something different, don't wait for someone else to step up to the plate. You know, take uh, take uh, rain from, you know, M- Michelle and start talking to people about it. And, you know, pull in people who understand. You will be amazed at who is out there t- that's willing to help you. Um, in terms of making making some significant changes and and um, progress with this disease, and it, it might take time and it it might grow slowly, but that's okay. It's a start. Um, and once we start talking about it, like with Michelle and her sole purpose program, 
you know, the people that reached out to her after that show saying, you know, this is pretty cool. How do I get this started? What do I do? Um, that's amazing, you know. So it, it's not just affecting, you know, our little old community that we live in. We can have a huge impact with the way social media is um, and being able to spread the voice of what's working and what's not working so well. Anybody else have any um, things that they're working on that they would like to discuss? Or? Well, I would like to say that the Soul Purpose Program is now mobile. <laughs> Um, that was one of my visions and, 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 and passions, not to have it implemented in the facility where I am, but also those individuals that volunteer to say, hey, you know, how can you take this to someone's home that is in need? So if there's anybody out there that has a, a family member who just needs that moment where they need a massage, they need their face made, so we can have that time and opportunity to sit with them within their home and again, to begin to have that conversation, we're available to do that. I want to add something to Monica's about children's therapy. Um, we had a client in Naperville, Illinois, who was suffering with a disease, and I brought my eight years old and six year old son with me to visit because she's been asking for us to stop by. And when I left at home, I was crying with happiness because I can see that when my two boys were interacting with that person, um, she was so happy and she asked us not to leave. And she said, please don't leave. I enjoy your visit so much. And um, when she was talking to my boys, uh, my she didn't, I didn't, feel that she has Alzheimer's because she seems normal and just, you know, the like asking questions. And uh, I feel that that's so true that mm, the children are good therapy for the elderly, especially with a person with Alzheimer's and dementia. Well, that's great. That's, I, I, and I think it's, you know, by bringing your children in, I mean, people got to see you as a whole person. You know, you're not just, you know, a nurse or a medical professional. You know, you're a mom. You're, you know, you're bigger than that. And, and um, I, I guess I see that a lot in the nursing home where my mom is at. You know, people bring in their, their pets and their kids, and they just have fun, not just with who they came to visit with, but they, you know, many of them engage everybody. And it it just makes it so much more friendly and comfortable and I think removes the fears that uh, that can be out there. Anyone else want to add anything else? You know, Lori, I just want to um, say one other thing, um, if I can, about Guiding Light Hospice. You know, so many people are, are afraid of the word hospice, and, you know, there are so many companies out there. Um, they're very large companies, um, Guiding Light, very, you know, being a very small company, you know, but we serve um, 12 different counties. You can go to the website and look and see where we serve, but... Um, the certain amount of patients we have or the facilities that we choose to go to, um, you know, we really try to enhance 
somebody's dignity and quality of life to the end. And when you get really big um, hospice corporations, the owners and the operators, they don't know the people who work for them. They don't know the people who um, they're providing care for on some, some level. And I think the personalization is what everyone deserves. So if people can just be educated that there's a choice and you can really get some personalized care, you can make all hospice companies rise to a different standard, um, rise to a better level and start demanding it, start demanding that the CNAs go to the house for visits five days a week and just don't do showers. You know, most places they go once or twice a week or a nurse goes once a week. You know, ours go twice a week. You know, Judith, my um, our MSW social worker, she sings to people. I mean, it's, it's all very personalized. And, you know, there's so many huge companies out there that just, you know, do it like a business. You know, I think people need to start demanding quality of care and dignity and demanding a better service in order for people to rise to the occasion that this is the expectation of what I'm going to want when I'm, when I'm older and I need hospice services. I'm going to want better services no matter where I go and until we start demanding it. And, you know, it's not going to happen. So I just encourage people to start, you know, helping themselves make the right choices for their loved ones because sooner or later it, it might affect you. So I, I think it's it's better to, you know, start having health care rise to the level of, of the expectations of what we really want. Now, Monica, mm-hmm. what do you say to your clients? I know one of the things that you mentioned, and that's real important, a lot of times when people hear the word hospice care, they feel like that that is just the end of life for their loved ones. But we know that there has been individuals that are on hospice that actually come out. So what what do you say to those families who have that thought? And they're very fearful because a lot of people are fearful of death. So what do you say to comfort them in that that net may not necessarily be the case for their loved one? It may just be that additional one-to-one nurturing care that they need. Well, Karen or myself usually um, are the people who go and talk to um, families initially. Um, However we get the referral from a physician or a nursing facility or just a friend, um, we go and personally talk um, with the family member um, about the hospice. And some people are very afraid. Some people are very very angry as to what's going on. Some are so confused and they're worried. Um, Some people don't want people coming into their homes. Some people are worried about what it will cost. And if you knew me and Karen, we're just really, um, as as Michelle said, it all comes from our hearts. You know, we only want to do the right thing. And I think initially you see that right off the bat. Um, You know, Karen's a nurse, but she doesn't go in as all clinical. I mean, karma's her dog, for heaven's sakes. I mean, she's so invested in the quality of life for people, too. I mean, it's how we all work together so well. And, you know, if you would see my dimples and my personality, I mean, this is what I do. I mean, this is this is what I love. I'm a people's person, and and it's it's just so important to me to to treat people as I would want to be treated, or as I would want my parents treated. I think it's 
you have to be passionate. And I think other hospice companies, they go right in and they say the doctor wanted us to come and see them and do this, this, and we'll be checking blood pressure and we'll be, you know, changing you or giving you a bath. And, you know, we're all about we're going to come and we're going to read or we're going to go to the store or we're going to walk you outside. And you, as the caregiver, can go for a break. You can go to the library. You can go to a doctor's appointment. Um, you know, it's about servicing the people. It's not just clinical for us, although, you know, our clinical nurses are, are excellent and our CNAs are excellent at what they do. I mean, that's, to me, the business portion. The um, hospice portion is the extra service about customer service. I think I, I think that's what we do. I think that's, I think it's great. I think it's, uh, you know, I, I love going the extra mile and um, I appreciate all of you going the extra mile in terms of delivering your, your services and and not stopping there, but, you know, keeping that mind and heart going of what is needed and, you know, how do we, you know, improve the lives for people who are diagnosed with dementia as well as their their family um, caregivers and the professional caregivers. We we have to join forces and get everybody educated and comfortable with this disease because it's not going away. Um, it's going to be with us a long, long time, you know, um, and probably even more so than what people originally thought. I think most people are going to end up like my mom, you know, living with the disease with early diagnosis, and um, you know, they may be living with this. Um, like my family, a 30-year journey. Uh, and so we we have to learn how to get comfortable with this. We have to learn how to stay patient-centered and how we can still engage people to feel purpose-filled and, um, and not just, you know, disease-oriented. They are way more than just a label. And I think that's one of the things that we all have to remember is this, like you said, could happen to any of us next? And do we want to be tagged as just a person with dementia or do we want to be Laurie, who has dementia, or Michelle, who happens to have a chronic illness, or whatever it might be? Um, we are so much more than a label. And um, so, again, I, I appreciate all that everyone is doing and um, all the time that you've taken today to be on the show with that, I think we'll we'll go ahead and wrap up unless we've got any questions from our audience members. Or um, I'll, I'll do one last circle here and ask if anyone else has some last comments. And Grace, I'll go ahead and start with you. Any closing comments? Maybe you can um, tell people how to yes, how to reach um, you. I want to add something to you about Alzheimer's. Um, Twenty years ago, my father-in-law was stricken with Alzheimer's disease. And back then, you know, I didn't have any ideas. And if I only had the ideas now and the knowledge, I would be able to help them. But they live out of town. And then we, the family decided, because um, it was very hard taking care of my father-in-law at home, so he was brought to a nursing home. But in the nursing home, again, you know, um, where they were put at, it was a he didn't get personalized care, and he was just, like, in the corner. And it was hard to believe that after two weeks, he passed away. And um, it was very sad. And looking back, and if I could have, 
you know, done something or had ideas and knowledge that I have now, I would have been able to help. And so it's really important um, for family members, you know, to get educated and uh, be aware of what's available out there and um, the, what we can do to help and improve and be the best. Well, exactly, because we don't know when this might hit us or a loved one or a coworker. And the more information we have, the better we can be prepared um, to help those in need. Um, Grace, can you give people your contact information you would like them to have in case anyone wants to get a hold of you? Yes, um, Alternative Home Care and Alternative Home Health Care. Uh, we are located in uh, uh, Cass Avenue in Westmont, Illinois, and our contact number is 630-971-0778. And also uh, we have a website. It's um, www.myalternativehomecare.com, and uh, you can get information there. And or by calling our office, and uh, you could also call in, and we could mail information to you, and um, give us a call, and we'll be glad to set up something for you. Okay, great. And Monica, any closing thoughts, and if you can share your contact information as well? Um, sure. I, I I just want people to understand that. Um, if you choose Guiding Light Hospice uh, uh, above and beyond, you know, um, one of the bigger names out there, I, I don't think you'll be disappointed. Um, if anyone out there wants to volunteer for Guiding Light Hospice, you know, you can go to our website, um, um, Guiding Light Hospice. Um, just Google it and you'll get all the information. Um, my phone number um, is 773 and um, I am the Chicago office, which is about Irving and Pulaski on the north side of the city. Um, our main office, our, um, Karen um, lives out in Serena, Illinois. You know, when you have a dog as big as Karma, you've got to be, and she also has a horse. You know, you have to be out there on a farm. Um, Serena's about 50 miles, 60 miles west of the city um, by Yorkville around there. Um, and she's, um, her phone number is 815 830 7499. We answer our phones 24-7. We're on call, and we're there for the um, person-centered care if anyone's interested. And um, um, please give me a, a call, and I'll be happy to just chat a little more. Great. And how about you, Michelle? I just want to say to uh, family members that are out there listening, individuals that may be diagnosed listening, care providers, that it's important that we continue to educate. If you need some help, you need some assistance to reach out, the resources are there. Um, for organizations, there's no need for us to work in, in silos because we all have the same mission, so we need to collaborate to be very um, effective in combating this disease. And I just would like to thank the alternative home cares and guiding light hospice for being a catalyst in, in changing the care culture and being flexible and just providing very person-centered care. Wonderful. Well, thank thank you all so much for what you're doing um, because it's, it's amazing work, and I look forward to working with each of you in the future. And for you as the audience, again, you know, keep in mind 
um, and keep in thought of, you know, what is it that you could do to make a difference? And it doesn't have to be this big worldwide mission. It might just be for one person. Um, it might be for a loved one. It might be, uh, you know, an activity. There's all different types of levels. You might start blogging or doing a YouTube. There's many different things. It might just be reaching out to someone saying, can I help, um, or volunteering. So, you know, keep in mind each of us has a huge impact on others in, in, in our world, and there's so much that we have to offer. So don't ever forget the power that you hold as an individual to make change. That's what makes America so great, um, is giving us that freedom of choice and freedom of voice. So again, thank you, um, Michelle Mason and Monica Ramirez and Grace Tabat. Going to crucify your name here, Grace. Grace, is it Tabalin? Tabalin. That right, Tabalin. Okay. Um, and again, you've got their contact information. You can always contact me as well through um, alzheimerspeaks.com or through the radio show. I do want to remind people that our next show coming up will be November 14th, and that show is titled Alzheimer's Disease, um, and we're going to talk about veterans' benefits and long-term care insurance and planning. And then on the 18th, I'm going to have Dr. William Fry on, and he's going to talk about what's new with research. And um, Bill Fry is the original doctor who um, started the research on the insulin, which has become uh, just worldwide. They're, they're really making some headway on this insulin medication process. And then in December... On the second, I'm going to have Rock on, and he is actually from Harvard, and he's going to be with another research center um, and foundation. And on December 6th, I'm going to have um, Uta Lugavig on, and we're going to be talking about social support groups. And that will be a very fun, fun program. And, oh, I forgot to mention Alan Arnett, who was climbing the Seven Summits, has finished his last climb, and he will also be joining um, Dr. Fry and I on the 18th. So I'm looking very forward to, to hearing his updates. If you are memory impaired or sharing your story with um, and interested in sharing your story with the world, please email me or give me a call. I would be glad to talk with you. Maybe you can be our next guest. We're always looking uh, for people who want to share their story or empower the world with um, what they are doing to make a difference in terms of shifting care culture. As always, I recommend that you focus on the three simple things when you're interacting with someone with dementia, and that is, are they safe, are they happy, and are they pain-free? And you can get your memory chip, which will kind of guide you how to use those uh, three simple tasks and thought process when interacting at www.alzheimerspeaks.com. In wrapping up, the quote for the day I want to share with you, um, I just got from inspired quotes of the day that I get on my emails, and I thought this was perfect. It, uh, the quote is, be the miracle you seek to create. You already are this miracle, and your primary purpose, 
purpose as a human being is to enjoy that miracle that is you and share this miracle with the universe. Again, be empowered to make change. Thanks again, and we'll talk soon. Bye now. Hey everybody, Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.